When you know what something feels like, then you can practice it in everyday life. Because now you know what it feels like to have a settled mind. And you know when your mind isn't settled, you can recognize it and bring yourself back to the present moment. Welcome to Tractionville, the podcast for companies running on EOS. I'm your host, Chris White, along with my wonderful co-host, Benj Miller. And today we have what I'm going to call uh, an EOSOG. Our guest today is uh, Rob Dubain. Rob is the co-CEO of Image One. And if that name sounds familiar to you, it's probably because you read it in Traction. Rob is one of Gino's first, if not first, clients. Um, Rob is also the author of Do Nothing, a wonderful book, and he's also the host of the Do Nothing Retreat. So, Rob, welcome to Tractionville. Thank you guys for having me. It is such a pleasure to see you, and uh, Chris, to see you again, Benj, to meet you, and uh, I'm humbled to be here. And I don't know what OG, is it old guy? EOS old guy? <laughs> Something like that? Um, uh, original gangsta. No. Oh, no. oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Rob funny. is from Detroit, everybody. No, that's right. That's right. <laughs> um, that's right. But we're gritty. Uh, we're gritty. That's right. <laughs> I, so you know, Rob, the last time we were together, we spent like I don't know, forty-five wonderful minutes together, and we really got to know each other. I really was grateful for that time. You had just come off. I think you just come off stage, uh, center stage, actually, at the conference. <laughs> and so, can you? Uh, I just mentioned you're an OG. Uh, I mentioned you're in the book. And I kind of want to start there. Um, and I want to get into your head where you were at that time and, and why Gino, why EOS for Image One? Well, we, we had purchased a small IT company and we the integration wasn't going really well. And we went out to our peer network and asked for some help. And somebody introduced us to Gino, said he might be able to help. He just sold his business. He's trying to get this thing going, this consulting type thing going. And, um, and so Gino was kind enough to come in and, and listen to what, what was going on and offer up his two cents, you know, his, his opinion based on some of his own personal experiences. And um, it really resonated with us. Uh, enough so he he also had us read a book called uh, Focus by Al Reese, and um, and we uh, we we undid the acquisition. We we closed that down, and that was a very tough uh, blow to our egos and our wow. pocketbooks. But um, we felt it was the right thing to do, and we, we were laser focused from that day forward. <laughs> right. <It's> true. <laughs> That's how did amazing. you how how uh, did you make that decision? Because so many people, um, let me think of a uh, an analogy on the spot, but um, they would say, "Hey, we're um, we make plates and we raise pigs," and so they would find a way to say, "Well, we're in the breakfast business." <laughs> you know, we're super focused on the breakfast business, mm. and they're really just taking these two things and finding a way to smash them together. Mm. And I think that's the temptation when we think about focus. We think about, well, how do we make all these things actually fit together? But you, you did the the different thing, the hard thing, and said we need to shed some of these. So take us into that decision. Well, we had to ask ourselves: were we masters at what we were doing? Were we world class at? 
uh, our craft already. And we weren't, we weren't. So um, to bring on something to add complexity really didn't make a whole lot of sense when we hadn't even mastered what we were trying to do in the first place. So that made a lot of sense to us. Um, Gino said, hey, if you want to keep the IT company and spin it off as a separate um, you know, subsidiary or something like that and let it run outside of your core business income statement uh, and have a laser focus over there as well, maybe that would make more sense. But we didn't have the, um, the wherewithal to do that, both Mindshare and Wallet. So uh, we just decided to become the best at what we do with managed print services. That's great. So how did you go from an, an honest assessment of we're not world-class to, I think you would say you're world-class at this point, or I'll put that in your mouth. You, so what, what created that? What filled all those gaps? Well, I, again, I think the focus, the extreme focus, once we were uh, lasered in on it and constantly asking our customers and questioning ourselves. And I think we already kind of had that sort of mindset is how do we continually evolve? Always learning is one of our core values. And so, you know, going through that and just constantly asking ourselves these questions, are we really the best at this? Well, if we are, how come we might not, uh, how come we lost a deal? What did they do better? What, you know, and, and how can we continually raise our great game? And I mean, I'm very proud of where we're at. I actually think we still have a long way to go. Business, our industry, like many, it's always evolving and we have to evolve with it. We've got yeah. comfortable several times throughout that since we uh, first engaged with Gino and got too comfortable, didn't evolve fast enough. And then all of a sudden we were getting passed by and had yeah. to get back up to speed and reset. So those were great lessons too. Hmm. What were some of the, uh, in the, in the front end of that journey, when, when you decided to work with Gino, um, what were some of the immediate impacts that you were like, Oh, Holy mackerel. This actually worked. Yeah. I mean, first and foremost, core values. Um, and sometimes even when I bring that up now, I feel like people are like, yeah, 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 I get it. But that's just the truth for us. We, we didn't have core values. Our first meeting with Gino, he said, we're going to spend most of the day, you know, figuring out what your core values are. And, you know, we had a whole, you know, list of issues. And I just said, can we do that last? You know, I want to get through these issues. And Gino said, hey, a little blind faith here. Um, and uh, let's go with it. And for some reason, you know, some part through the day, it's not clicking. Let's talk about shifting. But it, it clicked. I totally got it. And then, you know, once we got it, it was painful because you'd start to notice the mm. folks at the team on the team that just actually they weren't fitting within the, the value set. And, and then it's highlighted and, and then you have to deal with it, right. the reality around it. So you're sort of, you know, we had to go through a period of time where we had to make some challenging discussions and, uh, or challenging decisions and, and um, until we could get to, you know, a place where we had the right people on, in the right seats. I'm, I'm curious. I want to dig a little deeper on that, right? Because I, I don't like brushing over core values either, right? I mean, they really truly are the foundation of your culture, mm -hmm. right? Um, so when you, when you landed on them and you said, okay, all thumbs up, this is who we are, moving forward, we're going to use them as that filter, 
right? To, to get the right people. Mm-hmm. When, when, when you kind of rolled them out, right? We call it EOS rollout. What was the initial impact of your employees at that time? Because now they're sort of going to be graded, you know, their alignment to the core values. What was that initial impact like for your employees? Well, um, I'm going to have to go back a little bit in time. So I'm going to probably generalize a little bit. I mean, because it was quite some time ago. But I think when you look at our values, most people would shake their head and say, I fit, I fit there. So um, I don't think there was any fear or concern. I feel most people thought, oh, okay, great. You know, I'm not sure what this is all about. It's a new thing here. And, you know, but then as time went on, because we let it settle and, you know, we didn't just throw them up on the wall. We were starting to incorporate them in one-on-ones and, you know, then starting to notice, as I mentioned before, where certain people, you know, really didn't have it in in the way that we intended it. And then we had to work through things like, um, do you have a passion to deliver the X, an extraordinary experience uh, to your customers, to your team, to the community? And they would say, of course, but we had a different level of what that meant as opposed to what it meant to them. So could we lift them up or were they just never going to get there? And sometimes Mm. they just were never going to get there. And, uh, you know, the people analyzer was part of that for a while. Yeah. Yeah. You don't need anyone's permission to change the world. At Roundtable Companies, we'll work together to discover your most compelling story for a book, film, or brand. Come to our table and tell your tale. We'll listen. And together, we'll discover the story that needs to be told to create your greatest impact. Their clients say it all. Dr. Danny McVetty, founder and CEO of Lap of Love, said, RTC has made my lifelong dream of writing a book easier and more imaginative than I would have thought possible. I had no idea where or how to start, but with RTC, all I had to do was talk. They take my ideas, organize them, put color to my stories, and make them into a compilation that I'm incredibly proud of. This process has quite literally been a dream come true. Start telling your story today. Visit roundtablecompanies.com for more information. Have you ever changed your core values from then to now? Not the the uh, not the uh, overall meaning of them, but we've changed words at times. Okay, so yeah. kind of tweak the wordsmithing part. Exactly. But not the meaning. Never the meaning. No. Oh, that's and how yeah. how many times so how many years have has Image One been running on EOS now? Uh, it would be, I want to say 20. Yeah, it's got to like be that. close to 20, 2000, right? 2001, maybe, or something. I yeah. feel like I met Gino in 99 or something. Okay. So, And and you've tweaked them um, how many times in that time frame? Oh, I, you know, I, I don't even know. Not very okay. many. Not very Not many. many. Okay, yeah, that's, no. yeah. That's the cool thing about when, when you go through that part of the curriculum in EOS and you discover, you actually discover who you are, and then you got to go, wordsmith it right and get those things right yeah and and that's kind of been my observation too you know entering i think my 10th year now nine or ten and um some of my tenured clients they they kind of like you they might have tweaked the title a a tad but the meaning was always the same like like that behavior that they're trying to capture yeah um and, and but but it's maybe 
once or twice and like yeah. that's it yeah yeah that's really yeah, cool. i love the idea rob of of putting the values out there where everybody can kind of try them on and then raising the bar of what that looks like over time mm -hmm. i think that's a great visual that we can all take away from this uh rob i'm looking at uh i can see behind chris and i'm looking at the six components of eos vision data process traction people and issues and uh, you you come across to me from what i've read from what i know about you as just super high on the people component you care a lot about culture about mindfulness did that uh we tend to either live out of our strengths or live out of our recovered weaknesses. So was that, is that natural for you or is that what you've learned to lean into uh, because it was hard for you? I think it's more natural, but early on, I didn't realize that. I like to share a story of a time where I was um, in EO and uh, we were at a joint EO YPO event and I, they uh, put us at designated tables and then we were doing an exercise together where we went around and shared and exactly what we were sharing, I, I don't recall, but there was a YPO member who was in the automotive industry and had a good number of employees in the thousands and uh, they were a manufacturing company. And he was sharing how he would go down on the floor and get into these swearing matches with people if they weren't doing this or that and you know whatever the way they were supposed to, or he wasn't gonna let them bully him around or the company around and things of that nature. And I remember sitting there questioning if I had what it took to be successful. And I, I walked away from that event actually really wondering if I could ever get the company to a place um, of, of what I believed success meant. And um, it, it really stuck with me. Fortunately, later on, I learned uh, that there are companies that are, you know, people focused first, people before profit, caring for the totality of their team members' lives. And I got to see like real examples of companies that operated that way. And I got to travel around and, and um, regularly each year and uh, spend time with the founders, the CEOs and their teams. And I learned that you could be very successful in that way. And that was a relief. And I learned, you know, from just sort of gleaning from their wisdom, what I could incorporate at the company um, that fit more into that, that people component. That's good. All right. It's time for me to call out the elephant in the room. I got to do it. So <laughs> here it comes. There's some confusion in my mind. As a EOS disciple, what is a co-CEO? <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> um, I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> so I, I'll give you the backstory, and then yeah, I'll tell you how we yeah. came to having co-CEOs, which I, I do believe in the EOS world is not highly recommended. Um, but somehow, I guess we think we're different. We can do it better. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, no, I, I'm joking. But um, I realized as integrator um, for uh, most of the time that we've been on EOS, uh, actually all the time, um, that I hit a ceiling maybe about four or five years ago in my ability to take the company to another level. And I shared that with my business partner, Joel Perlman. And um, I said, we need a plan because I'm not cut out to take this to the next level. Um, I could just feel it. 
And so we made a commitment to find somebody, bring them in, and over time, um, you know, provided that they were the right person, um, that we would move them into the integrator role uh, and succeed me. And then I said, well, what, what should my role be? And, and that's not important to me. I don't really care what the, what the name is or, you know, yeah. maybe I'm a culture person or whatever you want it to be. And um, I had some other ideas for titles, but they felt strongly that I should use the title of co-CEO. And so I went along with that and um, I've been uh, serving in that role since. All right. So, so we're going to, we're going to hang on this one, Rob, because this is unique, right? When you compare it to the accountability chart, right? With one person. So um, just, I I don't want to, I don't need to go into the structure part. What I'm curious about is when you have co-CEOs, I have to think you, you had to use the delegate and elevate tool. You, you had to, both of you separate from one another, then come together. So as co-CEOs, what are your roles and responsibilities now in the company? Yeah, so um, I focused on uh, relationship building, which is a strength of mine. Um, I focus on um, acquisitions, um, which uh, is a mini strength of mine. I can get them together, but then I need to delegate off a lot of the details. Um, and I focus on culture and people. Do you have any, so, so do you have any direct reports? Uh, I have the integrator reports directly to me. Yep. Uh, okay. So, and are you doing the integrators, uh, quarterly conversation then? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And the other CEO. Yeah. Joel. What, what's, what's, what are his daily roles and responsibilities? So his two main focuses are actually he wears the vice president of sales hat, okay. sales and marketing hat. So um, that's really where he spends most of his time in that okay. box. And then um, he's somebody who can kind of be creative and see ways we can do things differently to, uh, you know, improve our go-to-market strategies and, you know, put together a presentation that can wow the prospect, the bank, the this, the that, whatever, you know, really be able to tell a story. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those are some of the things that, that he's more focused on. Okay. And, and that's working for you. So I'm, I'm imagining you have really good communication. You'd have to. Um, do you guys have a visionary seat in your accountability chart? Well, we look at that as sort of where we're joint there and we share those responsibilities in terms of, I, I have the ability for some reason to be able to see out, um, five, 10 years and feel okay. really confident around it. Uh, and Joel's really good at seeing more like three, two, three years out and feeling really good about it. Um, right. When I look three years out, I feel like it needs to be right this second. And um, so 10 course. years works better for me because, yeah. but, and I can really see 10 years. I feel there's something about it. I can like feel it, taste it, touch it. I, there's right. something about it. Right. Joel, Joel doesn't feel the same, have those same, um, you know, uh, traits. All right. One more, one more question. Cause I I'm, I'm acting like the listener here, right? Cause I'm, I'm, I'm vacillating between being an implementer <laughs> teaching and yet being a listener, <laughs> listening to, to, to this structure, because it sounds like it's working. So that's why I want to hang on it for a minute. How often do you and Joe communicate to stay on the same page? Well, we've, we've been using the same page meeting 
for as long as I can remember. So we're always communicating constantly. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's, um, it's radical, you know, I mean, there's, it's, it's deep truths <laughs> about right? strengths and weaknesses and, and it's uh, egos aside because there's no place for that. That's mm. not to say it doesn't enter in. Of, <laughs> of course, we're human. We get, yeah, <laughs> we're going to get fired up. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Exactly. But um, it's critical. It's critical. And our integrator, Josh, has been, you know, really great at helping to manage that as well. So okay. um, he can come in. Now, now we actually have another same page meeting where we bring him in and he's a as you were saying, being a listener, he's a great listener and can kind of bring it together Nice. where there's, where there's just like, where it's just getting off track or it's just, you know, uh, not going anywhere. You would, you would have to incorporate that discipline because it almost feels like the integrator has two masters. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and I, I know that's not what you're doing, but from a visual standpoint, it's like, okay, wait a minute. Yeah. Who do I listen to? <laughs> well, interestingly, uh, our integrator spends more time uh, managing Joel as vice president of sales and marketing than he does uh, on the CEO sure, stuff. Sure. Yeah, because the, the sales and marketing job is so big. Um, yeah. And Josh is, he's an accountability master, you know? Yeah. So, you know, he just keeps, you know, kind of tightening it up and tight, tight. Let's tighten that up. Let's tighten that up some more. And Joel will be like, ah, I don't want to do, you know, and he'll say, come on, we got, you know, so. It, that sounds like the perfect integrator. For sure. Yes. He, he's fantastic. He, That's he awesome. really is. Yeah. Rob, let's talk about your book, the do nothing book. You wrote a book mm. called do nothing. Seems mm. like a horrible idea. So <laughs> what is it and why did you write it? <laughs> well, I wrote it because um, I learned about mindfulness as something was that was useful uh, for me in my life to help manage some of the anxiety and stress that I had uh, growing up uh, and then uh, later running the business. We had sold the business. We were running it as a wholly owned subsidiary, much larger company, and there were new dynamics that I was dealing with that um, weren't suiting my personality well, <laughs> say the least. So, um, um, I, I, that this was something I tried and it, it, it really, um, uh, resonated with me. So, uh, I kept it and I kept, or I kept a practice going, a discipline. Um, I learned more about it and I ended up going on a uh, silent retreat at a certain point. And I found that to be really useful, scary, but useful. Um, and, and so I made that, uh, an annual, um, uh, rhythm for myself. And, uh, at some point, um, people would be curious about what, what this whole thing. And somebody said, you know, you ought to write a book about it. And, uh, they kind of threw out this joking name, do nothing. And it kind of stuck. I'll tell how that works though. How does it fit the idea of doing nothing? I don't think you mean it fully literally. No, no, totally. Thank you for asking. It's a great question. Um, that's how it came up. Somebody said, what do you do on those retreats? You're just sitting around doing nothing the whole time. And while it may seem that way, um, it's far from nothing. It's far from nothing. Um, at, from being active standpoint, you might not be doing a whole lot. And that's what we all associate um, uh, doing something with is being busy. Um, but you're really working within your own mind. And uh, that takes, that's 
the hardest lift I can tell you I've ever had to uh, have experiences with, and, and it'll be a lifelong um, journey uh, for me. So while you might be sitting or doing mindful walking or mindful eating um, or just mindful movements, um, you are consistently working with your mind and coming back to the present moment right here, right now. And because uh, that's all we got. We like to think we could control the future. You know, we like to ruminate on the past. There's nothing we could do with either. All we could do is be right here, right now. When you went to that first silent retreat and you got on the other side and you came back home, what were some of the the revelations or, you know, what did you discover about yourself? Well, one thing that um, I discovered and most people have a similar experience and it starts uh, usually around two or three days into the retreat is uh, you, you, you didn't realize what it felt like to have your mind settle because we've never had a chance to have our mind settle since mm. pretty much since we've been born. And you start to understand what that feels like. So like if you play an instrument or you play sports, sometimes you, you get into a groove with something like it could be like a shot and you know what it feels like. Mm -hmm. So you like, right when you shoot it, you know, that felt right. Or you go, no, that's off. You don't even need to see right. where the ball goes. You know, musician, same thing. When you know what something feels like, then you can practice it in everyday life because now you know what it feels like to have a settled mind. And you know when your mind isn't settled, you can recognize it and bring yourself back to the present moment. I utilize my breath. That's a common way of doing that, just coming back to the breath and coming back to the present moment. I would be scared shitless <laughs> to, to do something like that. I really would. Most people say that, and all of them walk away saying that was the most impactful experience I've ever had. Hundred hmm. percent. Right. Might have to Rob. challenge myself this year. <laughs> well, that's the that that's the that that's the uh, the second part of the book. Do nothing. The most rewarding leadership challenge you'll ever take because it is a challenge. That's a good challenge. I love when a challenge drops on Tractionville. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Rob, before we run out of time, we've got to talk about something that you're passionate about, the simple six. Yeah. What are the simple six? Thank you. Well, the six, these are six things that we identified at the company and working with our team members through surveys and through conversations um, that they were struggling with in their lives. And as it turns out, we found that it was these regular everyday things that pretty much everyone struggles with in their lives. And, and there could be more than six, but these were just kind of the six we, we honed in on. And uh, we start with the first one, which is a, a really solid foundational practice where you can be mindful. And however you find that, whether it be through meditation or prayer or whatever it is that, that brings you the ability to come to the present moment, that's the first thing that most people struggle with. And that really serves as our foundation for the other five. And um, the first of the other five is sleep. And what a difference maker sleep is in our lives. And as somebody who struggled with that myself, um, mainly because I love doing stuff and being awake and I'm excited. It's not that I can't sleep. It's just, I want to do, I'm excited. And so uh, I realized how important sleep is. And I realized how sleep deprived our team was and what an effect that must be on their 
daily, um, their daily lives and their happiness. So sleep um, is, is the first one. And uh, when you have that mindfulness as a foundation, you recognize when you're not getting enough sleep and then you can make it a priority. Um, the next thing is nutrition. And, you know, like sleep, we all know that it's important to um, fuel our bodies with the right nutrition. And uh, that oftentimes can get derailed for various reasons. And it's all completely understandable. Uh, we're not here to beat ourselves up. We're just here to recognize it using that mindfulness practice as our foundation to notice. And so you notice in, in that moment between stimulus and response, I've got the cookie. I know it's not the right choice. I notice, I pause, I choose to put it down and go do something different, go have something more nutritious or whatever. Or you may choose in that moment to have it and just be okay with it, which is a good thing too, because we don't want to beat ourselves up and try to be perfect because that's impossible. The next thing is movement. And I say movement instead of exercise is because for some, you know, they believe that they needed to go to a gym and pump some iron and, you know, and so on and so forth. And, and really it's just about being mindful about moving your body, you know, and getting out there and getting active. It's taking the stairs in, in a building. It's going on a walk with, you know, someone you love or your, your dog, or, you know, just getting out there and moving and maybe trying to get your heart rate going a little bit. Um, if you like working out and doing exercise, fantastic. Go for a run, go to the gym, do all those things. And that's amazing. And that means you've got a great practice and that's enjoyable to you, but it doesn't need to be that. You can even sit, sit at your desk and do chair yoga, just moving your body is so important. And it's amazing how many people really find themselves not moving throughout the day and not even noticing it. The next thing is connection. And it's connecting in the ways that, that, that serves you best. It could be getting out into nature and connecting with the earth. It could be connecting with loved ones, friends, people you haven't seen a while in a while, or maybe just the person at the store and just having a true connection with them and making, them day, making their day lifting them up. It could be with an animal, dogs, cats, whatever pets a person might have, just making sure to be intentional about that connection. Uh, and then the last thing um, that is always so easy to say, but for some reason it gets off track and that's expressing gratitude. And uh, whether you do that in the form of, uh, I know people that when they wake up, they lay for a moment and then they think about something that they're grateful for. Uh, some have journals and they really go to town on their, on, on writing out their great, their gratefuls, um, or just going throughout your day and just pausing and noticing what's, what's beautiful today, because there's so much beauty around us, but we get caught up in the other stuff and, uh, it brings it all into perspective. So those are the simple six. And we always share with our team and whomever we're speaking with, don't try to be perfect. Just try to notice and make small changes along the way. So if you're listening and you're interested in the challenge of a silent retreat or working more on the simple six, I bet you have something for us. <laughs> you can go to do nothingbook.com and it'll <laughs> give you all the information you need. <laughs> there we go. All right. 
as we wrap rob you've been a pleasure uh thanks for coming on being an inspiration to all of, of tractionville we love to just end with an open ended question you know we've got senior leadership teams listening from all around the world what's one piece of wisdom encouragement advice you'd want to to leave them with today Always a good question like that. And I never have good wisdom around that. But the thing that that uh, I always think about when it comes to the leadership teams, of course, being a people-focused person, is uh, how can you be, be a lifter-upper and not a dragger-downer with your team members, whether it's your senior leadership team, all the way throughout the organization, just showing up. It's an honor to serve these people. And how can you lift them up? Yes. Good. Thank you, Rob. Tractionville, I'm glad you got to meet Rob today. Hope you got something out of it. There were definitely a few challenges and things to be mindful of in there. Uh, Take something, decide right now what you're going to do with this before it, it leaves your conscious. And we'll see you next week for Tractionville Tuesday.